Amen. Guys, I love the slow clap. That's awesome. Well, what's up, you guys? My name is Emily, and I'm here with my teammates, Seth, Tamara, and Lauren, and we are the traveling team. So our name says it all. We are literally a team that travels. We pack up our lives in a suitcase and travel in a minivan to speak to college students like you guys about this idea of God's heart for the world. And so we, this is like our eighth week out of 12, going all over, mainly California, speaking to college students and going to campuses. And so we're so excited to be here with you guys tonight. So kind of just to give you a little breakdown of what tonight's going to look like, is Seth, he's going to come up, and for 30 minutes, he's going to start in Genesis and go all the way to the Revel- go to Revelation, sharing about God's heart for the world all throughout. And then after, I'm going to come up and give a little bit more information about part two that we're going to be having tomorrow, which is going to be awesome. But guys, this is something that impacted all of us while we were in college and really changed our lives. And so we're so excited for you guys to hear it. But with that being said, let's welcome up Seth. I really wanted to slow clap too. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Wow. Wow. I should feel honored, but I asked for it, so I don't feel too great about it. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've done nothing so far. Uh, guys, I'm so excited to be here with you tonight. We had like four meetings that canceled for next week, so because of the coronavirus. Um, so we might actually just join you at Hume if that's cool. Yeah. Can we come? Yeah. What's up? Uh, we probably won't come. But uh, yeah, we're so excited to be here tonight. Uh, I have the best job in the world. I get to travel all around the country with three lovely ladies talking about something that I am incredibly passionate about. Uh, and for four years before I was on staff of the traveling team, I actually had another great job. I worked for Delta Airlines. And I worked for Delta for one reason and one reason only, free flights. <laughs> Free flight. So this took me all over the world. I, I saw a head nod. You work for Delta or want to? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this took me all over the world. I've been to Thailand, Vietnam, New Zealand, Turkey, all over Europe because of my job with Delta. It's the best, but there's a catch. And the catch is that you can only get on the plane if there's an empty seat. So this is called flying standby. Uh, and as you can imagine, most of the time it's amazing because there's an empty seat on the plane. But every once in a while, you find yourself in a rather undesirable situation. And this past summer, I found myself in the worst situation I've been in when my family and I went to Germany. So we went to Germany. We got there all right. Uh, we climbed through the Alps, swam in some of the most beautiful lakes I'd ever seen. And I'm pretty sure I ate all the sausage in the entire country. It's the best. Uh, so the night before, we were getting ready to come back to America. I checked the website that shows us how many empty seats there are on the plane. And there's 15 empty seats. There's 15 empty seats, and there's four of us. I'm not sure how good you guys are at math, but we're getting on this plane. And not only are we getting on this plane, but we're flying first class. And I don't know how many of you have flown first class internationally, so I'm going to paint a little picture for you. So you step onto the plane. Instead of going right like you used to when you were a peasant, you go left. (laughs) You go left. You walk through the curtain that divides first class from everyone else, and you're immediately greeted by a flight attendant with a tray of champagne and orange juice. So, of course, you grab the orange juice, and you follow your flight attendant to your seat. Your seat that also doubles as your bed. But you're probably not going to fall asleep because for the next 10 hours, you're going to be weighted on hand and foot. And if you do happen to fall asleep, you might even be lucky enough to wake up with a nice warm chocolate chip cookie next to your face. That happened to me, and it was like, that's the best way to wake up. No one can wake up mad when there's a chocolate chip cookie next to your face. So I go to bed that night, needless to say, stoked for my 10-hour flight. Have you guys been stoked for a 10-hour flight? No, I didn't think so. Uh, So I go to bed stoked for my 10-hour flight. 
Wake up the next morning, check the website again, and there's only 10 seats left. That's all right, there's four of us, there's 10 seats. Maybe we won't end up in first class, but we're getting on this plane. Get to the airport, ask the ticket agent how many seats there are on the plane, and she tells us that there's only seven seats left. So I'm getting nervous, like, who buys eight last minute tickets from Germany to America? Who does that? I don't like those people. I need to get on this plane, I need to get home. Uh, and as I'm going through security, I, I load my phone and I, I see the, the seats go from seven to six and six to five. And as I leave security, there are only four seats left. So I'm just thinking, put me anywhere on this plane, right? Put me next to the toilet, put me on the toilet. I don't care. Just get me back to America. Just get me home. So we walk up to the gate and the gate agent hands a ticket to my mom, my dad, and my brother, and not me. Yeah, so sad. And to add insult to injury, they all flew first class. <laughs> so as I'm watching my family walk down the jet bridge, my mom is bawling her eyes out because she's leaving her favorite son in a foreign country. <laughs> and I'm thinking about how much I hate flying standby. But I can't dwell on that, right? Like, I have to figure out how to get back to America. So to make a really long story really, really short, five trains, four countries, three planes, two hours of sleep, and one Uber later, and I'm finally home. I'm finally home, laying in my bed, thinking about how much I hate flying standby. This thing that seems so amazing, I hate it. I hate flying standby. And guys, so many of us, we're just living a standby Christianity. We're just flying by the seat of our pants, from job to job, major to major, boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girlfriend, without any purpose, without any plan. Or maybe you do have a purpose. You do have a plan for your life, but you are unwilling to let God into that plan. You're unwilling to let him mess with the purpose that you have decided uh, for your own life. Uh, but you see, I had something very important in my favor in that story. It's that I knew my destination. I knew that no matter what, at the end of the day, I was getting back to my hometown, Normal, Illinois. That's the name of my hometown, Normal, <laughs> Illinois. I knew that that's where I was headed. But when you don't know your destination in life, you can't know who to marry, you can't know how to use your degree. But most importantly, you can't know how to glorify God with your life. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the destination that God shows us in Scripture, his destination, his purpose, and his plan, and what he is inviting you and I into. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to jump into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Uh, God, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that does not believe the gospel, I pray that that's what they would take away. Uh, God, that, that, they, that you came and you died for them and that they could be with you forever. Um, and then for the rest of us, God, I just pray that we would have open ears and open hearts and that we would genuinely ask you how you want us to play a part in this mission. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start in the beginning. In the beginning, God creates humanity. And in verse 28 of chapter 1, God gives Adam and Eve the very first command that he had ever given. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Two chapters later, sin and death enter the world, uh, separating humanity from God by our sin. And then just a few chapters after this, sin had gotten so out of hand that God floods the earth and starts over with a man named Noah. And as Noah is leaving the ark, God gives him the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. A few chapters later, we actually zoom in on humanity and we see that they've done one of these things really, really well. They've been fruitful and multiplied, but they've not filled the earth. They've done, they've done the easy part, right? But they didn't fill the earth. They've gathered together. And they've gathered together for a very specific purpose. And that purpose was to build this tower. And they wanted to build this tower to bring glory to their own names. They were going to build this tower that stretched all the way to heaven, and they wanted to receive all of the glory. 
So that's not what God's about, right? God is about his glory. He's about his name being made known in the earth. So he goes down. He scatters humanity throughout the planet and confuses their language. And as Genesis 11 ends, we have a huge, huge problem. Because we have a world full of sinful people separated from God. We have a world full of sinful people who are not worshiping God. But God's intention is to have a world full of worshipers. He wants a world full of worshipers. So as we flip the page from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12, we see the beginning of his plan to fix this problem. We meet this man named Abraham, who at this time in Genesis 12 is known as Abram. And guys, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is the most foundational passage in all of Scripture. So if you've ever struggled to understand the Old Testament, if you've ever struggled to understand the entire Bible, my hope is that Genesis 12, 1 through 3, will unlock everything for you. So let's look at it. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God says to Abram, go from your country and your family and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will make your name great. So God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you for a very specific reason. And he goes on to tell us what that reason is. He says, I will bless you. Oh, no, I just clicked it so many times. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you all nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but I don't want that blessing to stop with you. I want it to flow through you to people from every nation. I want it to flow through you to your offspring. I want it to flow through you to the ends of the earth. So from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to to Jesus to the early church and then finally to us, this is his purpose. This is his plan to save people from every nation, to bless all the nations on earth through Abraham and his offspring. So as we follow Abraham's offspring through the Old Testament, we see over and over and over again God using them to make his name known. And as we follow them uh, from Abraham to his son Isaac, God repeats the promise to his son Isaac. He says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then he repeats a similar promise to Isaac's son Jacob. He says, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring." So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your offspring are going to be like the dust of the earth. They're going to be like the stars in the heaven. And through them, all nations on earth. You're going to spread out from the west, the east, the north, the south. And through them, all nations on earth will be blessed. And as we follow Abraham and his offspring to the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, we find them enslaved in Egypt. And they're enslaved under this man named Pharaoh. And God says this to Pharaoh. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So God tells Pharaoh, I know that you're the most powerful man in the world. I know you're the most powerful man in the world because I made you the most powerful man in the world. I made you what you are, and I'm going to tear you down. I'm going to bring the 10 plagues. I'm going to part the Red Sea. I'm going to lead my people out of slavery, and then everyone's going to be talking about me. My name will be proclaimed in all the earth. So he does it, right? He brings the 10 plagues. He parts the Red Sea. He leads his chosen people, Abraham's offspring, out of Egypt. 
He leads them out of slavery. And as we follow them uh, through the Old Testament, we come into contact with people like Rahab. And Rahab heard what God did in, in Egypt. She says, I've heard of your God. He brought the ten plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He led you guys out of slavery by defeating Pharaoh. The God of Israel is awesome. God is using this story over and over and over again to make his name known. And he's still using it today. We're still talking about it. And then we continue following the Israelites through the Old Testament, and we eventually find them at war with the Philistines. And the Philistines had this dude named Goliath. Goliath is like nine foot tall, and he's the best warrior in the world. He's the best warrior in the world. Most of us on this campus have heard of David and Goliath. Whether or not you're a Christian, you've heard of this story because it's what every sports movie is about, right? Every sports movie is about the little guy defeating the big guy that they had no chance to beat. And for so long, I'm not sure how many of you grew up in Christian families, but I feel like I was taught this story as, Seth, you're David. You're David, and with God on your side, you can do anything. You can overcome any obstacle. Uh, You can defeat any giant that stands in your way because you have God. And that's true, right? Like, with God on our side, we can do anything. But that's not the point of the story. And David tells us what the point of the story is. He says this. This day the Lord will deliver you, Goliath, into my hand so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David knew that this story was so much bigger than him. He knew that it was so much bigger than 4,000 years, people thinking they could overcome their giants. He knew that it was about God. He knew that defeating the greatest warrior on the planet would be a miracle because he was just a prepubescent teenager. He had no business defeating Goliath. He knew that when he slung that rock, God had to perform a miracle. And he did, right? He did, and we're still talking about this story. We're still making movies about this story. God is using this story to make his name known in all the earth. And as we continue through the Old Testament, we eventually get to the Psalms. And we come in contact with this Psalm that David actually wrote, Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. We love this verse, right? Yeah, it's all over our churches. Uh, Someone here might have a journal with it on the front. I might even have a B-Still tattoo. Do I have any B-Still tattoos? None? Man, I'm up to seven this year. I got to keep asking. Really, a crowd this big, there's no B-Still tattoos. Someone's got to go get one tonight. Um, Be still and know that I am God. Guys, have any of you ever noticed the little A in the reference? I had to do some pretty extensive research to figure out why they put the A there. I'm not very smart. I had to do some pretty extensive research, and what I found out was they put the A in the reference because there's a part B. There's a second half of this verse, and we just cut it off. It must be pretty terrible if we want to cut it off every time we reference this verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Man, this is standby Christianity at its finest. Taking the part of the verse that makes us feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside and cutting off the part about God, about his name being exalted among the nations by his name being exalted in all the earth. Man, this verse should make us feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside. We should be able to be still and know that God has everything under control because his name will be exalted to the ends of the earth. He'll be exalted among the nations. When I was seven years old, I visited the most magical place on earth, Disney World in Orlando, Florida. It was the best. I flew through outer space on a rocket. I rode down a waterfall in a log, and I met my hero, Buzz Lightyear. It's great. To cap off the night, I saw the most inc- incredible fireworks display that I had ever seen. It was so magical that 15 years later, I applied for an internship with Disney. I got the internship, and as part of our training uh, for the internship, we go on a tour of the Magic Kingdom. 
I'm not sure how many of you guys know this, but underneath the Magic Kingdom, there's an entire world of tunnels. And these tunnels, they control all the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I'm on this tour. I think I'm really cool. You know, I'm at Disney World, so I'm cool, obviously. And I'm walking around the tunnels. I see all the behind-the-scenes things. And then it happens. The character break room. And I walk in, and I see my hero, Buzz Lightyear, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and then I look to my right, and I see Pluto making out with Cinderella. And my world was shattered. It was shattered. I will never unsee Buzz Lightyear smoking a cigarette. Every time I watch Toy Story from now on, Buzz Lightyear, smoking a cigarette. I cannot unsee that. Guys, my prayer for you tonight is that when you see, be still and know that I am God. You see Psalm 4610a, you'll be reminded there's a part B. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. And as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over and over again, God using Abraham and his offspring, his chosen people to make his name known in all the earth. And then you'll move through the Old Testament. Yeah, you'll see over and over and over again. And then you'll move into the New Testament and you'll meet Jesus. And everything's going to make a lot more sense when we meet Jesus. But we'll get to that in a little bit because, guys, in the prophets, this is everywhere. It's everywhere. In Isaiah 49, 6, we're talking about the coming Messiah a few hundred years before Jesus ever even steps foot on earth. And God says this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. So God is saying, it's too small of a thing for me just to save the Jewish people. That is too small for me. Man, for so, for so long, I just thought that's what the whole Old Testament was about, about God just saving his chosen people, right? And then Jesus was plan B. No, no, he goes on to say what the Messiah is for. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is plan A. And from the very beginning, God's plan was to use Jesus, an offspring of Abraham, to take salvation to the ends of the earth. That was plan A, was to use Jesus. And you cannot unsee this because it's everywhere in the prophets. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I'm not sure how many of you have seen the sea. We're a little inland here. But it is completely covered in water. <laughs> if you've never seen it, it's completely covered in water. And in the same way that the sea is covered in water, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It is going to happen. Zephaniah 2.11, the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all of the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship him, every one in its own land. You cannot unsee this. And then finally, Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And as the Old Testament ends, it is screaming about God's heart for the nations. It is screaming my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. And as we move into the New Testament, that salvation that's going to go to the ends of the earth becomes a lot more clear when we meet Jesus. So let's look at the most famous passage in all of Scripture. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Man, for so long, I, I popped that word world out of this verse, and I put my own name in there. For God so loved Seth that he sent his only son. And that's true, right? Like each and every one of us, we have to decide whether or not we want to repent and turn from our sins and follow Jesus. And he wants an individual relationship with each and every one of us. And that's the gospel, right? That sin and death came to earth in Genesis 3, separating humanity from God. But God closes that gap. He closes that gap by coming to earth in the form of a man, living the perfect life that, that we couldn't live. And we cannot be good enough 
to get to God. There are no amount of good works that you or I can do to get to God. So he lived that life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He bore the penalty for every sin that you ever committed. He bore that sin on the cross. And then he died. Then he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death. And when you put your faith in him, when you repent and turn from your sins and follow him, you will be with him forever. You are granted eternal life. And so if you don't believe that tonight, that's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that Jesus came and he died for you. That he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. He died on the cross. And that when you repent and follow him, and you are granted eternal life. And at a certain point, for those of you who already do believe this, I want you to take your name back out of this verse and put world back in there. Because it's so much bigger than each and every one of us individually. It is so much bigger because for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. God so loved the world. And when you choose to follow Jesus, not only are you given eternal life, but you are adopted into the family. You're adopted into that family that we've been talking about through the, the whole Old Testament. Abraham and his offspring, that's you, and that's me. And Paul is a lot better at explaining this than I am, so let's look at Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 7 and 8, understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people, so that's like probably most of us in this room, right? So he would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So when you follow Jesus, when you have faith that he died for your sins, man, you're adopted into that family. And when you're in the family, man, the family business is awesome. And it is an incredibly high calling. And we get that calling in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So Jesus has just died on the cross, rose from the dead, and been among many witnesses for 40 days. He's about to ascend into heaven, and this is what he leaves his followers with. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to stop there for a second, because Jesus is claiming like all the authority in the universe, right? Like all the authority in heaven and on earth, that's all the authority that there is. I'm guessing he's going to follow it up with someone, something pretty important, right? Like you're not going to follow that up with something dumb. No, it's going to be super cool. And it is really cool. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Famous missionary Hudson Taylor, he went to China, and he said this is not just something for Christians to consider. This is a command to be obeyed. And each and every one of us, as followers of Jesus, we have to figure out what God wants us to do with this verse. And some of you are thinking right now, I am on board. Let's go, right? Let's go. Let's make disciples of all nations. I'm in. And the rest of you are like, eh, Seth, if you could give me four more verses, I might be in. So I'm going to give you four more verses. <laughs> Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, 47, forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then finally, Acts 1, 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And I want to point out, it doesn't say you'll be my witnesses unless you get that dope internship next summer. Or you'll be my witnesses if your parents are cool with it or your boyfriend or girlfriend are on board. No, it says you will be my witnesses. My followers are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends 
of the earth. But when we ignore these commands, the world ends up looking something like this. This box is known as the 1040 window. It reaches from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, hence 1040 window, from West Africa all the way out to East Asia. And in this area of the world lives 5 billion people. 5 billion people. Of those 5 billion, 3 billion are considered unreached. When I say unreached, I don't just mean unsaved. There are tons of unsaved people all over Chico, all over California, all over this country. There are unsaved people. The difference is those 3 billion people have no access to the gospel. So they might not have the Bible in their language. They don't have a church on every corner. And they definitely don't know a Christian. So to put that into perspective, if every single person in the world who claimed to be a Christian shared the gospel with every single person that they had ever met, there would still be 3 billion people in that box without even any chance to respond. They never will hear that Jesus came and died for their sins and that they could be with him forever unless something changes. And I have a friend, his name is Brooks Buser. Brooks spent 11 years translating the Bible and planting a church among the Yembe Yembe people in Papua New Guinea. And while he was there, he started to receive letters from another tribe. And these other tri- this other tribe was asking for a missionary. They had seen how the gospel had transformed the tribes around them and they wanted some of it. They wanted a piece of it. So they started writing letters to Brooks. And soon enough, he received so many letters, he couldn't ignore them anymore. So he takes a believer from his tribe, an elder from the Yambi people, uh, to go on a survey trip to see if there's something they can do for them. They go on this trip. It's a few hundred miles. Uh, and when they get close, they hear this party going on. They hear these drums beating. And the elder for the Yambi people turns to Brooks and he says, they think you're their missionary. And they get there and they explain, we are not your missionaries. We're just here to, to do a survey trip. We still have so much work left to do amongst the Yambi people. So the elder from the Goat Mambu people invites them into his hut, sits them down next to two of his wives with no teeth and white hair, and he asks them, he says, I understand that you're not our missionaries, but how long? How long is it going to be before we get our missionary? Goes through four translators, gets to Brooks, and knowing that there's no one planning on going to this people group. There is no one in the pipeline. He says, it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a while goes back to the translators, gets to the elder, and looking visibly upset, he says, Brooks, you don't understand. We've seen the way this has affected, this message that these missionaries have brought has affected these other tribes. We need it. Our tribe needs this. How many moons before we get our missionary? Goes back to the translators, gets to Brooks, and knowing he has the same answer, that he has no idea how many moons it's going to be, he says, so many moons. So many moons. Goes back to the translators. Gets to the elder again. This time he stands up and and still looking visibly upset, he says, Brooks, I'm going to have to leave this hut. And I'm going to have to tell my tribe how long it's going to be before we get our missionary. How many moons? I'm begging you, tell me how many moons before we get our missionary. Goes back to the translators. But this time it stops with the elder from the Yembi people. And he tells Brooks, I'll take care of this. He stands up and he says this. When every single person in this hut with white hair dies, then you'll get your missionary. Because there's no one planning on bringing you the gospel. There is no one planning on coming here and telling you this message that is changing these other tribes. Guys, right now, that's true for three billion people in that box. There there is no one planning on taking them the gospel. And unless something changes, 
Unless someone says, I'm going to take the gospel there, they will never hear. There are no local Christians to share the gospel with them. And some of you are like, okay, how? How are we going to do this? Well, Paul gives us a really good blueprint for how we can go about reaching the people in this box. In Romans 10, he says this. Maybe. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So I can boil this down. If I lost you, it's, I know it's really wordy. I'm going to boil it down into two words. And those two words are go and send. We can go in two ways. We can go here and we can go there. Going here is simple. There are over one million international students in America right now. I asked Cody before I came up here how many international students you had on campus. He said a lot. So there are a lot of international students on your campus. And guys, you can invite them into your lives. Can you imagine like moving to a country where you know no one? What do you want? You want a friend. Invite them into your life. Have lunch with them. Play sports with them. Play video. Whatever you do in your normal life, do it with them. Invite them into your lives and then give them the greatest news that they will ever hear. Tell them that Jesus came and died for their sins. Don't make them a project. Be their friends and then share the greatest message they will ever hear. So we can go here. Guys, those, those international students are going to go back to their home countries and they're going to be the future businessmen, the future businesswomen, the future politicians in their countries. But right now they're here and you can share that message with them. So we can go here and we can go there. Going there is also simple. You can get on a plane, you can go to the 1040 window and you can take the gospel to people who have never heard. I have a friend, his name is Lincoln. Lincoln's from the east coast of China. And I met Lincoln while I was living in, in China. Uh, and I, I was on a campus. We met and we hung out and we t I told him about Jesus. We did, I didn't share the full gospel at the first time we hung out, but I told him I was a Christian. And he's like, okay, Jesus is cool, but I'm Buddhist. I'm Buddhist. My family's Buddhist. I'm going to be Buddhist. I'm like, all right, well, here, take this Bible study. If you want to come back next week, we'll talk about the Bible study. So he comes back the next week, he'd read the Bible study, and this time we explicitly share the gospel with him. And he says, man, this is really cool. I, I think this might be true. Can I do this like Jesus and Buddha thing? And we were like, no, but come back next week and we'll talk some more. And he comes back the next week. We share the gospel with him again. And he'd been studying the Bible through the last three weeks. And he says, I believe that Jesus is God and I know Buddha is not. And guys, the overwhelming response of people in China when they come to know Jesus is, why have I never heard? Why have I never heard? Why has no one ever told me that Jesus came and that he made a way to get to heaven? I've been trying to work my way to whatever it is I'm trying to get to. I've been trying to work my way there. I have never heard this message before. Guys, you can take this message to people who have never heard. So if, you, if you're like, you're not good at sharing your faith, go to Chico Project this summer or stay at Chico Project this summer. Stay here this summer. It's so easy to sell that, right? Like, don't go home. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, stay here and share the gospel. Start sharing the gospel here. Learn, grow in your faith. And then next summer, go on a trip. Go overseas. Go to, go to China. Go to, go to Thailand. Go to Africa. Wherever it is that you guys end up going next summer, go there and share the gospel with people who have never heard. So we can go here, we can go there, and then we can send. Guys, I want to point out that sending is no less spiritual than going. It's not. It's not less spiritual. But in the same way that it is not less spiritual, it should be no less sacrificial. As Christians, we are all called to a sacrificial lifestyle. So whether that is packing up everything and moving to the 1040 window for the rest of your life or staying here and working like crazy and giving generously to missions, man, 
Those are both sacrificial lifestyles. So if you are not called to go, you are called to send. And you are called to send by giving and by praying. And I know what you're thinking. I'm a poor college student. I don't have any money. In fact, I have negative money. Some of you are thinking that, right? I have negative money. Amen. Yeah. Uh, There are still things that you're spending money on. You are still spending money on coffee and burritos. I love burritos. I spent way too much money on burritos in college. There are areas in your lives where you can cut back. I had a support appointment with a girl in college, and uh, in the middle of the appointment, I felt convicted by the amount of burritos that I've been eating. I told her to her face, I will support you for $10 a month, and I'm going to give up a burrito. My burritos are kind of expensive. I get guac. (laughs) So I told her, I will support you for $10 a month. Guys, there are areas in all of our lives. You're not going to grow up and get a ton of money and then automatically be generous. Be generous now. Cut back now. Give to people who are going from challenge from your churches and taking the gospel of the 1040 window. And then finally, we can pray. And if you can think of a good excuse for those other three things, not to welcome international students, not to go to the 1040 window, not to give sacrificially, you cannot think of a good excuse not to pray. Every single one of us can pray for the 1040 window. We can pray for unreached people groups right now. And we have some resources on our table in the back. You can grab a free prayer map. There's a, an app called Unreached of the Day. You can write that down. I see a bunch of you taking notes. It's called Unreached of the Day. And every single day, gives, they put up a new Unreached People group, and you can pray for them. Pray in discipleship. Pray in your small groups. Pray every uh, Tuesday night at Challenge. Pray for Unreached People groups. Pray that God would send laborers. One of the only things that Jesus commands us to pray in Scripture is that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest, harvest field. Because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Guys, pray for laborers. Because there's a huge harvest field in the 1040 window. And we can be praying that God would send people to those people. And I know what you're thinking. This is great. This is awesome. But it's never going to happen. Never going to happen. Do you see some of the countries in that box? Like Iran, Afghanistan, Yemen? No, this isn't going to happen. I have some really good news for you. The first is that we're given the Holy Spirit, right? At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, Behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. That alone should give us enough confidence to know that this is going to be completed. But not only are we given the Holy Spirit, in Revelation, John actually is given a vision. And in this vision, John sees this. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Worshiping Jesus. Guys, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. Jesus has purchased people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the cross. It's going to happen. And right now, he is inviting you and he's inviting me to play a part in getting them there. And this is a privilege to play a part in this mission. This mission is guaranteed not to fail. The purpose and plan that you have for your life can fail. The purpose and plan that God has for your life is guaranteed not to fail. So I want you guys to ask, like, what, God, how do you want me to play a part in this? And in a minute, I'm going to pray, uh, and I'm going to pray for anyone who wants to take a next step. But when you came in, there was a little card on your seat. Go ahead and pull that card out. It has, it's red. It has a list of verses on the front. Those verses, some of them I talked about tonight. Some of them I did not. Guys, go home tonight and read through those verses. Make sure that God's heart is for the nations. And ask yourself what God wants you to do. What a good next step is. So guys, like I said, in a minute I want to pray for you guys and I want to pray for anyone who wants to take a next step. Um, So I'm going to ask anyone who wants to take a next step to raise that card above their head before I pray. Um, But what does that mean? What is the next step? Guys, your next step can be reading those verses. If this is the first time you've ever heard of the 1040 window, you've never heard of unreached people groups, man, your next step can be reading those verses. 
Or maybe you're not following Jesus, and your next step is to follow him. Or man, maybe your next step is to start a prayer group on campus or to stay for Chico Project or to go next summer to the 1040 window and take the gospel to people who have never heard. So no matter where you're at in that process, no matter if you grew up on the mission field and have been on a million mission trips, or this is the first time you've heard of that, you've heard of this mission, and I want to pray for you guys, and I want all of you to take a next step. Because at some point last semester, I read this verse, and I realized for the first time, I'm going to be there. Have you guys ever thought about that? Like, we are going to be standing before the throne of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Imagine the privilege of, of looking over and seeing someone that you met on your campus. And you shared the gospel with them. And they're standing before the throne. Maybe they accepted Christ maybe, right then. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was 5, 10, 20 years later. But you shared the gospel with them. And they became a believer. And they are worshiping Jesus forever with you because of your obedience. Or imagine someone, someone comes up to you and they say, you don't know who I am. I've never met you before. You've never been to my country, but you prayed. You prayed that God would send a laborer to my people group, and it happened. And it happened, and now I am standing before the throne because of that missionary and because of your prayers. Guys, that's my prayer for all of you guys, is that you would all have the privilege of standing before the throne with someone like Lincoln or with someone that you have, are praying for or a people group that you will never come in contact with, but they will be there because of your prayers. So go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And if that's you, if you want to take a next step, no matter how small or how big that is, if it's following Jesus for the first time, if it is starting a prayer group on campus, or if it is going for the rest of your life, go ahead and raise that card high above your head. Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person in this room. Lord, thank you for the gospel. God, thank you for entrusting us with the gospel. I pray that we would not hoard that message. God, I pray that you would use so many people in this room to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that we would have sacrificial goers and sacrificial senders, and that one day we would all have the privilege of standing before the throne and seeing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus, some of whom are there because of our obedience. God, give us that privilege. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.